Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Becoming Fully Human podcast. My name is Camille, I am your host, and today I bring to you a conversation with Isabella from Whose Body Is It? This topic of conversation is undoubtedly the most controversial to date. We discuss the trans industry. Um, I wanted to talk about this topic for a while now. Um, this feels like the perfect opportunity Isabella is so well-spoken, she's so wise and brave, and she's, yeah, she's an incredible human being. I really learned a lot during this episode, and we discuss many different things, including cancel culture, safe spaces, uh, erasing the mother, um, the agenda of depopulation and transhumanism, Isabella discussed the history of the trans industry and yes, yeah, so much more. So um, you might find yourself in disagreement, you might feel triggered, you might be offended. And yeah, I urge you to listen to the end with an open mind and an open heart. Um, I, I'm really glad to be releasing this episode. I feel very inspired after talking to Isabella and as a woman, I feel it's very important um, we have these conversations and this conversation in particular. So, yep, I'll leave it at that. I really hope you enjoy. It's such a touchy subject and yet I feel like I can't not go there anymore mm -hmm. because actually like you posted today, it's really an assault on humanity on children, like the, the desire. I also, I know you're a birth worker. What was a birth worker? Do you still work in that field? I do. Yeah. Oh, sorry. That was our alarm to, to meet. Um, Good. That, yes, I, I'm taking a bit of a break now, but I, I mean, I was at a birth. My last, the last birth I attended was like end of December. Cool. Yeah, yeah, I studied holistic reproductive health and I have a deep shared passion. And I feel like as a woman, mm -hmm. just declaring that for the, you know, as the topic that we're going to be talking about, I feel so compelled to like protect the next generation. And so we're going to have this conversation and it's a conversation that needs to be had. Actually, the first topic I thought we could talk about was just cancel culture in general and the mm -hmm. way that society and I don't think it's all of society and it's not in fact when you tune out from the mainstream news it's actually quite it's like the cancel culture isn't really that existent um but cancel mm -hmm. culture and how we're not supposed to have conversations about touchy subjects um mm -hmm. yeah how how have you navigated that world and what are your thoughts mm -hmm. yeah so I didn't, I wasn't, I didn't have like much to get canceled. So I will say that like I started off talking about, you know, controversial stuff when I was living at home. I was kind of working just enough to, you know, make the money that I needed to make to reinvest back into like my doula work. Um, but I, yeah, my, my experience of like cancel culture was from a social, mostly social perspective. So like losing friends, getting called out on Facebook, mm -hmm. getting like, you know, hate mail, stuff like that. 
Um, but I didn't have, I've never had a corporate job. Um, I, I wasn't able, I was never like so high up that I could be like torn down. Torn down like, right, I, right. I, and I had already started phasing out of the kind of birth work that I was doing as well. So I was already starting to untangle myself from the kind of circles, professional circles, you know, doula circles, stuff like that, that didn't, that didn't resonate anymore. So yeah, I think I was pretty well positioned to, to speak out because like I had my basic needs met. Um, my overhead was really low. Any money that I was making, I was just reinvesting back into my business. I wasn't in any debt, you know, like I, I, I started off talking about this stuff um, from a, a relatively like stable situation. Right. Um, and, and I know that's not the case for a lot of women um, who are so deep, you know, the, the, the deeper you are financially, the, the, the stronger you, the tie is financially to, you know, your, your material kind of things. Well, the more you rely on the system that can tear you yeah. down. Like if you have that, yeah. If you're, yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And, and I'm also should mention, I'm like single, I don't have kids, you know, there, there wasn't much in, I couldn't really think of many excuses to not speak other than, you know, I think a, a fear of being, you know, disliked, which didn't really come up for me, you know, the truth felt like too important to, to not. And I don't think at the time I could really gauge what was going to happen. You know, right. like I didn't think if someone had told me, by the way, you're going to lose every single one of your friends and, <laughs> you know, they're going to be hundreds of high school pe people you went to high school with, you know, like storming your page, blah, blah, blah. I would have been like, Oh, huh, uh, that, like, that sounds kind of uncomfortable. Right. But, but you I know, what I've, uh, what I've found in my journey of speaking my truth on so many different topics is that like the fear of being disliked will never trump the fear of disliking myself for not speaking up for what I know to be true. Mm -hmm. So at the end of the day, it's this like inner calling that you cannot ignore. And so to like myself and to stand in integrity and truth, I mean, I'm sure you've made a lot of friends that are quite aligned with the human that you are becoming and have become. Totally. I mean, there have always been dissenters, rebels, naysayers throughout history. Like, it's not like we are one of few. There are actually a lot of us. And as soon as you step into that, you know, you start to attract those, those na naysayers, whether, you know, they're rebels, you know, in, in, you know, let's say speaking out against trans ideology or a rebel or a naysayer within their own field, you know, entirely distinct from, from like, you know, the topics that I cover. Um, but part of, I think, a tactic in keeping people quiet is the illusion that they will be alone on the other side, which is just so not my experience. It can happen, um, mm -hmm. certainly, you know, and there can be a kind of sudden drop off that can feel really, really dire and really lonely and really depressing. Um, but I, I, I kind of saw where my women were and I dove in head first as I was exiting, you know, what, what I call old world. Mm -hmm. I didn't even, 
no pun intended, have that much of a transitionary phase. Like there wasn't that much of a transition for me when it came to um, speaking out against vaccines, like so many things that I feel maybe go against the, the norm because probably like you, I have been quite outspoken my whole life about many things, about big pharma, about Monsanto and like all these systems basically. And really they are quite interconnected. Um, maybe you want to talk a little bit about that and how far back does this go? Like, actually, let me ask you one thing first, because we haven't even really introduced the topic. <laughs> what do you, apart from being a woman, of course, what do you consider yourself? Like, what is this mission of yours? What is, do you have a title? Do you like, what, if you had a business card, what would it say? <laughs> um, I boil it down now to the service that I provide, you know, which is raising consciousness on the harms of trans ideology, porn and prostitution, you know, the medical paradigm as it relates to women's health, women's bodies. Um, I'm a hypnotist. You know, I'm very interested in, in the ways that our minds are manipulated, how we can manipulate our own minds as well, how we can reprogram all the negative programming that we are inundated with. Um, that's a, it's a pretty long business card. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I, I, I love to talk to women. I think that's, I love teaching. I love doing one-on-one -on -one coaching. I love attending births. Um, I love interviewing women, you know, like a lot of my, my content that I put out on my podcast, on my channel is listening to women's stories. Like I, I do very little talking in, in most of my episodes um, because there's so much, you know, that we can learn from, from listening to other women's stories. And that's, that's part of the consciousness raising. I mean, consciousness raising groups, were, you know, groups in the seventies where women would just sit and, and kind of just talk, you know, and just be like, yeah, this crazy shit happened to me. My husband did this. And the other woman would be like, oh my God, my husband did that too. And then all of a sudden, right. You start to zoom out and see how, you know, what's happening in your life, you know, is, is actually not specific to you that is happening across the board to women and girls globally. Mm -hmm. So, um, so yeah, I would say I'm a consciousness raiser. I love to, 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 to kind of uplift women's stories. Yeah, cool. And so going back to the question before that, um, can you talk a little bit about the history of this movement? Um, the movement being the transgender movement um, and kind of, yeah, maybe how far back does it go? Like, I, I actually don't know too much about it. I have been thinking more about it since people have been doing these Q and A's. And I mean, we can share that maybe after, but maybe you can talk a little bit about the history and um, yeah, what's going on behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, I'll reference, you know, for this part, I'll reference the writing and research um, done by a woman named Jennifer Billick, who is really responsible for uncovering the, the kind of the money behind this industry. She calls it a gender identity industry rather than a movement um, because the way Much she- more appropriate word. It yeah. is such an industry. 
Yeah, it's corporatism. You know, this, these are her words. She calls it corporatism. And um, so I think according to her, you know, it goes back, I would say, maybe four or five decades, you know, for talking about like the modern phenomena of what we see now, like the, the kind of the inner workings of that. Um, if you ask someone else, like the deprogrammer, uh, for example, who is a, a former trans rights, trans rights activist, you know, sh she'll say that it goes back to like, Greco-Roman times, you right. know, where where men would, you know, be dominated by other men, um, like 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 women. So like women were so we were seen as so not human that to you know they were seen as kind of a vessels for for you know making human life that like a sexual play was reserved for for men and so men would play women in dress to kind of express themselves sexually so already you have this this kind of subdom phenomena where you know instead of it just being two men who are having sex with one another one man impersonates another woman and that is you know the the, the kind of the the foundation of the you know the sexual arousal so that's like a whole other rabbit hole but when you like fast forward to like um to what we have going on now where you have adult you know primarily middle-aged white men proclaiming that they are stuck in their own body and that they are women um, and learning more about that fetish, right? The fetish of getting turned on by yourself as a woman, right? That leads to the fetish of wanting to be subjugated because that's their kind of vision mm -hmm. or perspective of what woman is as it's informed by porn. So without going there yet, you know, mm -hmm. it, you know, the modern phenomenon of what we see now, I would say a couple decades old, when you think about the, the kind of the head, the top players in this, they are, you know, in their sixties and seventies uh, now, and they are, you know, billionaires, philanthropic billionaires who set up these NGOs that then funnel money into, um, the educational system, the legal system, everything that you see now as popularized with media all comes from, you know, that, that these, these men with just huge exorbitant amounts of money and power. So, yeah, but, you know, the T and the Q, the TQI was added to the LGB in 2005. Mm -hmm. So that might give, you know, your listeners some perspective as well. Right. Um, the LGB has always been really prime real estate. Um, something that I learned from the deprogrammer uh, was that in the 80s, there was a movement called the Pedophile Information Exchange that, you know, was a group of men who are pedophiles. They like to have sex with children um, and they wanted to be recognized as a sexuality. They wanted pedophilia to be recognized as a sexuality, and they tried really hard to get on to the LGB. So that's an important kind of historical point that, that might interest people, and you can do, you know, they can research more on, but that happened in the 80s, and they were unsuccessful. So the LGB, right, 
lesbian, gay, bisexual refers to a sexuality, right? So same sex attracted people, people who like to have sex with the same sex. It's really straightforward. Mm-hmm. Um, but the T and the Q and the I is something entirely distinct. So, so yeah, I always like to name that I believe in same sex attraction. I am for, you know, the rights of LGBT people. However, the, the T, the Q and the I is something that is relatively recent in terms of its addition, its kind of appearance in, in society. Um, and obviously has been normalized and legitimized by where it lives, which is attached to the LGB umbrella. Mm. Well, yeah, it's super interesting, right? Because your sexuality is something that you feel and can act out in the body that you were born in. Um, Mm -hmm. And then it's, it's wild to me. I think it's actually something you said earlier. Um, like what, what is a woman? What, what defines feeling like a woman? Like, how can you feel like a woman? How can you know what it feels to be a woman without being born a woman, basically? Um, it's, it's a wild question. It's almost a conversation I would like to have with someone who identifies as trans because I would genuinely like to know how you could possibly feel like something that you just cannot by definition understand what it feels like to be. Like mm-hmm. I was I was telling a friend, talking to a friend this morning about um, this chat we were gonna have. And it's like, you know, I love trees. I can feel one with a tree. I can really like feel quite connected to many things in nature, but I cannot, be so connected to feeling what a tree might feel like that I literally become one. And particularly when it comes to, I mean, you talked about how far this goes back, like the dressing in a feminine way or in a masculine way does not actually make you understand the plight and experience of being either a man or a woman. Um, And so you spoke historically and kind of maybe in the past four or five decades about how this is kind of a top-down operation. And yet in modern day, we're seeing it being expressed by many, many young people. Um, I mean, I use the word by choice very loosely because like you said, with um, being interested in hypnosis and programming, at what point are you choosing something if you're being brainwashed into it? But Um, My point with the young people is that like, it feels like this, um, what did you call it? Not a movement. Uh, The uh, Jennifer Millett calls it the gender identity industry. Yeah, the industry. It's preying on insecurity. Like how many of us feel uncomfortable in our bodies? And I mean, look no further than the plastic surgery industry pre-trans this pre-trans industry like women feeling like they need to have bigger breasts or bigger lips or less body fat to feel worthy of being a human being um so this is like the next step to me it's like i feel so anxious or depressed or you know i haven't addressed my childhood trauma or abuse or anything that's happened to me and so you assume you feel so unworthy that if i was just that 
And we, I mean, as human beings, we're always, we're looking at other people, we're looking at more beautiful people, you know, people in better shape. And we assume that if we had that, that we would be happy. And is that kind of what this, is that where this is going? Like, is that how they're preying on, yeah, the younger population? Yeah, I think so. I, I absolutely think so. It, and I think it's more than insecurity. It's, um, because there isn't a specific formula, you know, I can't really say all the people that I know who, you know, identified as trans and then desisted or detransitioned had, you know, met these markers right, or fit this profile. Hmm. Um, so I think, yeah, I think, you know, people want to belong, you know, people want a sense of purpose. People want to feel special. Um, children's minds are sponges. They're imaginative, you know, it, it, and the way to like capture, you know, the, the prime target for a divisive ideology, you know, is, is to target the youth, you know, why, why do like terrorist organizations recruit children? It's because their minds are malleable and they are the future. Mm. So, yeah, I think it, 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 it lets a lot of people off the hook as well. You know, like I, I think of a story that I interviewed this, you know, this, uh, she called herself a trans widower and her husband, you know, came out with quotes as a woman and was, you know, viciously abused as a child. And when he came out as a woman with quotes to his father, his father was super supportive because all, and you know, what this woman kind of her analysis of that. And I would agree is he was super supportive because all of a sudden he realized he was off the hook all the abusers get off the hook when, you know, someone who was previously abused comes out as trans, you know, this whole trans thing just absorbs or it attempts to kind of deflect the root of the issues, whether that's internalized, you know, misogyny, misogyny, internalized homophobia, um, unaddressed sexual trauma, um, you know, eating issues, body hate, whatever it is. It's just this brilliant way to deflect um, what we as a society like have yet to fix and address. And all of a sudden it becomes this, this medical operation, literally, mm. um, to correct oneself. So, yeah, I mean, I think the other thing with targeting the youth is the kind of the intersection of the industry with technology, obviously pornography, um, TV shows, social media has made all of this possible on a, a kind of a global scale um, and has accelerated the, the intensity of it. So if you think of something like OnlyFans or GoFundMe, um, all the women, you know, who are getting tens of thousands of dollars for their double mastectomy and raising that money through straight from strangers through GoFundMe, mm -hmm. through sites like GoFundMe. So you have, you know, we're in the age of trans, influ trans identified influencers on YouTube. It's just everywhere you look, it's, it, it's in the school curriculum. It's all over social media, um, you know, corporate, even in corporate settings, everyone's being asked their, their pronouns. So it's so wild. Yeah. It's everywhere. It's so wild. Um, you posted today, I'm going to read it out, start thinking of an excuse why you supported sterilizing children. Um, because it really, 
I mean, it, I've known that that's like a byproduct of this. Yeah. I don't know if it's agenda is the right word, but of this industry, Mm -hmm. but it definitely is what's going on. Do you think, or like, what are your feelings? Is this connected to depopulation? Is this like, there's the transhumanism industry as well of basically like erasing humans and Mm -hmm. definitely a big part of that is making us question reality. And if you can kind of wedge yourself in between something that people have grown up to know, knowing to be true, you know, you're born biologically as a woman or a man. If you can convince people that that is not true, then what can't you convince them of? Like, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's exactly that's, and that's like the push. I mean, um, that was a meme that actually another account had posted that I reshared um, called the transsexual empire, which is a book. Uh, the, that's the name of the account. And it's that name comes from a book that was written by a woman named um, uh, Janice May- May- Mayard May- Maynard, I forgot her last name, but it's called the transsexual empire. And she wrote this book in the seventies to kind wow. of like warn everyone, like, this is what's wow. happening. Yeah. So that's a really awesome account to follow, but yeah, the, the, yeah. What, what's your, what's your start thinking about your excuse for sterilizing children? I love that. It's like, Ooh, it's, it's hard to swallow. Um, but yeah, do I think it's depopulation for sure? You know, I think another way to just think about it. And again, I'm drawing from the work of all the women who have like informed my research and, and kind of what I talk about now, but Jennifer Billick talks a lot about this, that, and, and Dr. Suzanne um, Forbes-Veerling, who I just had on, you know, they talk about um, the fact that there, there's so little left to colonize. Like we've already colonized the world, land, food, water. What is left is human, human flesh, human sexuality. Um, and so that's what we see happening. It's, you know, it's not just ideology. The ideology leads to a material colonization of our bodies. Like we're talking limbs, like body parts being cut off, manipulated, pieced together. St- and sterilization is just one aspect of that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of the, the genital mutilation that occurs on trans identified youth renders them, um, you know, not able to experience sexual arousal, sexual pleasure. Um, It's not the case for every surgery. It's not the outcome for every surgery, but it is, these are all experimental Mm -hmm. procedures and surgeries. So yes, children will be sterilized. um, If not from the surgery, from the puberty blockers, Um, you know, like Lupron, for example, you know, that, that is a drug that sends women into menopause wow you know like these drugs are sterilization tools lupron for example which i learned from a a woman i had on my channel is used in um prisons uh for the most violent male sex offenders like they give it to the most violent male sex offenders so they they so like they you know they have lower libido so they're not like fucking you know raping all the other men in the prison so yeah, the, the, the uses for the kind of drugs that, that they're now you know, justifying using on children are serious, serious pharmaceuticals um, and are, are known to affect 
the body in all sorts of ways, but especially, you know, reproductive function. So, um, yeah. And, and it, I mean, it gets pretty gruesome. I don't know how, how, how detailed you want me to go, but. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you can go as detailed as you like, but I just, in terms of like the childhood piece, it, it really, I actually leaves me at a loss for words that, I mean, I'm not even surprised anymore, really how far we can go in this world when you look at the pandemic at the moment, like how we got this far is baffling to me as well. Mm-hmm. But looking back on my own life and like periods of being a tomboy, I can't even imagine had that had like, if, if I'm at a loss for words, like I had periods of, you know, dressing like a boy more or being more into sports or having more male friends, but never was it even suggested to me that that meant that I was anything but a woman or a girl at the time. And there's also, I mean, there's the whole conversation to me, like the spiritual essence that we have within all of us, the masculine and feminine energies that we have and like having to do, I mean, probably quite a lot of work to balance that out, right? When you look at the patriarchal society that we have, that is not just um, perpetuated by men, it's perpetuated by the inner, you know, the wounded masculine in all of us, men and women. I actually personally think that women perpetuate maybe even more than men because we participate and yeah, like propagate the the values of the patriarchy. Mm -hmm. But so yeah, even like conceptually to, to know that we have masculine and feminine doesn't make you need to express physically that you are a, a different gender. Like you can be, there are so many very feminine men out there more in touch with their feminine essence, but yeah, I, like, how did we get here? <laughs> like, well, like you're, you're talking about very like nuanced, yin, yang, masculine, yeah. feminine. Like I, I don't even go near that stuff anymore. Not because I don't think there's value, but like we are having such a hard time now as a society, just kind of holding it down. Like we can't even agree on what a woman is and what a man is. So coming back to that, like material, like all we know, all we can say definitively that all women have in common across race, class, religion, location, is that we are, we share a female body. Mm-hmm. Like that's it. We, everything else is speculatory, mm-hmm. right? Even, even saying that we can all reproduce, not all women can reproduce. Some women are sterile. Like, mm-hmm. you know, if they're born with intersex conditions, for example, you know, the, all, but all we can say definitively is that we share the one thing we all women share in this world is a female body. And then vice versa for men, all we can say that all men share is a male body. So to get into like the essence and the kind of polarity discussions is like advanced stuff because Mm -hmm. where I find a lot of that goes, not what you're saying and what you believe, but, but in context of trans ideology, when it gets brought up, Mm -hmm. um, like uh, men's rights activists will use elements of polarity and masculine feminine to reinforce what they call quote traditional 
male, female roles. Now, when someone says traditional, what they're usually saying is like 1950s housewife, men at work, women at home, you know, that that's not, that's, that's not traditional in my book, but um, so, so yeah, I, I do think, I do think obviously we are all in this because we live under patriarchy. Um, and, you know, to your point about women per- perpetuating what's going on, yes, I, I do think women have been recruited um, to be kind of foot soldiers, but women have all, always gone where patriarchy goes. It's, it's a means of, it's a way we survive. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's a survival mechanism. So I, I tend not to focus so much on that. I feel that to be true really? in my yeah. life. Like I, I know yeah. women, you know, some women have been vicious to me, but it's always important to remember that the people at the top are, are men, you know, and, and I, and I, it's just really important to remember that this is a top down issue. This is not a group of women coming together, making this happen. We are I mean, the women, the liberal fe- feminists who have been recruited are doing their best under patriarchy to survive. Right. Um, and I, and, and I think truly have good intentions. What, um, what can we do? Like, what can we do to start speaking our truth? What can we do to start breaking the cycles of patriarchy? And maybe also, mm-hmm. what can we do to raise I, probably two very separate questions? Well, connected, but um, separate to raise children that are like anchored in their truth and capable of deciphering from what is like mass brainwashing. I think we we have to agree on some fundamental truth, like not our truth, but like the truth that that there are only men and women, that we are a sexually dimorphic species. Like I think we need to come to that agreement. We need to like recenter back into material reality. Mm-hmm. Um, because yeah, that would be the first thing, or at least in your community at, or your school board. Like if you're, you know, if anyone's listening and, and their kids are at public school or even like a Waldorf school, even like it could be a private school, but if you're sending your kids somewhere else for the majority of the day, um, it is vital that parents, you know, get a hold a, a copy of the, the education and not just explicitly the sex education, um, but it's really important to, to figure, to find out what your kid's being taught at school. And it's crazy. I don't think most kids, uh, most parents have children and think that they're going to have to defend them from a predatory ideology that wants to mutilate their bodies, but mm-hmm. this is where we are. So I think for parents listening, yeah, it's really important to get a hold of the school curriculum, um, form a board with other parents, um, and don't let, you know, the school district bully you. Um, yeah, form a committee with other parents, like don't do it alone. Um, I know a lot of, you know, moms who have pulled their kids out of school, put them in more religious schools, you know, they think they're sending their kid to a secular school, only to find out they're being indoctrinated with this ideology, um, and then send them to more religious schools, um, primarily to avoid this, this ideology being, you know, taught to their kids, which is very dangerous. I wanted to emphasize how dangerous this ideology is. It's not just about pronouns. That's like the gateway into the lifelong, you know, pharmaceutical dependence and, um, and yeah, lifetime of, of problems. So, yeah, so that, that's one way I think, you know, uh, 
sharing, you know, sharing content that, that resonates, that explains things that maybe you're not ready to articulate yet. You know, I, I remember doing that myself, kind of feeling overwhelmed and not knowing where to start and sending articles, sending podcast episodes, you know, maybe your listeners can share this episode uh, uh, with people. So yeah, you know, as you're practicing, you know, saying the truth, um, sharing, sharing other women's voices who are speaking out, you know, you can get, you can, you know, if you, if you want to get on the ground and be more like an activist, you can put stickers up, you can write to your reps. Um, you can sign the, uh, the, the women's declaration of, for human rights, um, which is an organization that was started by Kara Dansky. Um, and it basically outlines, uh, you know, why this ideology is harmful, why the, so-called Equality Act that um, Biden, you know, kind of put through, it's still pending, um, which would basically replace gender identity with sex. So basically erasing women as a sex class. So yeah, for anyone who wants to get more involved on a political level, I would recommend going to the uh, Women's Declaration International. I believe that's the website. Um, and signing the declaration and they have templates of how to get involved. Also Wolf is another organization that does a lot of on the ground activism. Um, I sell stickers. You can buy stickers for me and put them up locally. Um, yeah. And always donating, you know, there's, there's on all levels, you know, especially if, if you're, you know, someone's listening and, and they're, you know, want to remain anonymous, you know, uplifting other women's voices, donating to women who are are doing the work, buying stickers, putting those up incognito. You know, there's so many ways to feel like you are involved. Um, and then, yeah, back to like kids, you know, modeling embodiment, you know, just grounding them in reality, um, watching your daughters, you know, uh, having your daughters watch you make your menstrual pads and bleed every month and, talking about the body and, you know, how sacred our, and important our bodies are. And even if you don't want to get to a spiritual level, like just naming that this is what we got in this life, whether you believe there's something, there was something before or after, like you're here right now in this flesh. And it's really important to, to honor that mm -hmm. um, because it can't be changed. It can be mutilated. It can be pieced together, yeah. but fundamentally it can't, you know, be changed. I mean, when I think about the topic and, um, I mean, striving for a solution. I don't know that it's the solution. I think it's like you said, multifaceted and there's so many moving parts and things happening at once. But what resonates most with me is, is teaching children to love themselves, like deeply love themselves, not just visit, like on, on every dimension. And of course, childhood's a difficult time. Everyone has periods of feeling unworthy and unlovable but really addressing that. And as a parent, like having been a child, I'm not a parent yet in this lifetime, but having been a child and having had parents, I know that personally, what is most impactful isn't actually what is said to me, but what is um, mirrored to me by my parents. So a parent can tell their child that they love, like, I love you. You can tell your child, I love you every single day, but if you don't love yourself, child does not learn really truly intrinsically to love themselves so I think healing our own wounds too and really addressing our own traumas and the conditioning and the ways in which yeah we have internalized programming and the way that we're showing up in the world and like being willing to face like you said I really 
I totally agree with that. It, the survival mechanism of women perpetuating the patriarchy, but like having the strength to look at that wound and, and heal it so that you can have the confidence to navigate the world from a place of truth. And then like in doing that, teaching your children to do that as well. Because like yeah. you said, it's mutilate. I mean, it's body mutilation. We yeah. condemn genital mutilation in African countries, like most people do. And yet here it's like all of a sudden it's glorified. It's, it's baffling. Yeah. And, and I know women who are even against, you know, infant routine, infant male circumcision who support, you know, yeah. Wow. The trans industry. So it's, it's all over the board. Yeah. It's all <laughs> over the place. And like, we, like we are generations behind, you know, we, we're starting from scratch. So like modeling embodiment, like trying to reclaim ancestral wisdom. Like if you are a woman, if you're a white woman in the West, like chances are you, you can't go back that far. You know, like I don't, I, I don't have, you know, indigenous, you know, relatives who are still alive, who, who were midwives and who can tell me stories. Like I'm not that connected to my, my lineage, you know, so we are repairing like many, many, many generations of, of disconnection, uh, you know, from our matrilineal lines. So yeah, it's not something that we can just like self-love our way out of. I think that's part of it. And I think that's like, we have to kind of see what we have available to us now. And that is totally part of it. I totally agree that, that, that modeling that is way more important than just saying the words. Um, and, you know, it, it still doesn't address what's happening on a global scale, mm -hmm. you know? So yeah, I, I <laughs> it's really hard. This is a big, big, this whole fighting the transhumanist agenda is no, no easy, uh, no task no it's no small it's no small feat but I think you know for anyone who wants to be involved like first finding your lane of you know your your genius you know like what what vitalizes you what are you really good at maybe that's teaching fertility awareness maybe that's you know maybe you're a lawyer maybe you are you do sound healing you know for you know the women who are kind of coming out of the cult and you know are coming out with missing body parts like we all have our our geniuses and we don't all do the same thing and that's really important so um yeah maybe it's being with children maybe it's being a midwife you know whatever it is we all have our role to play mm -hmm. in you know, fighting for the new world, birthing the new world, um, and kind of recovering from a lot of shit. I think it, I mean, I actually think it's kind of crazy that I even have to say this, but I thought I'd like table topic of people like this conversation for many people that are caught up in this narrative um, would call us an anti-trans, like that we're against trans people. When I actually, it's so the opposite, right? Like you are the biggest advocate for the person behind this brainwashing, like the, for the human being who has gotten caught up in 
um, the industry, the trans industry. And so to be accused, like, I know you've said you've gotten a lot of hate mail and lost friends. It's wild. Like, it's quite, it's like, you're actually fighting for these people, like for their truth, for their bodies, for their health. Like how it, um, does that, does it overwhelm you? How is that? How is that? <laughs> Well, people, I think people are triggered to think that because they see, you know, me talking about trans people in the way that they hear it in the way that um, people used to talk about gay people. Like they see me as a kind of conversion therapist. Right. You're actually the opposite. The conversion therapist is the person like glorifying the, wow, that's fascinating actually. And the connecting of the LGB with the rest, it is quite the opposite. It is, it is honoring who you are. And if your sexuality would no, like, no matter your sexuality, that is an honoring self, but the little add-ons really is actually a dishonoring of self. Mm. Yeah, totally. Oh, powerful. Yeah. You know, it's, it's just, and I think, I think that's why the, you know, the stories of the detransitioned women are so vital. And like, I will say that I am anti-trans ideology. Yes. Like, I don't believe that there's no such thing as trans. There, we are a sexually dimorphic species. Now there are people who hate themselves. There are people who mutilate their bodies. There are women who have been on testosterone for 15 years. There are men who have been on estrogen for 15 years or more, you know, like those people exist. I'm not saying that they're not human. I'm not saying that they don't deserve basic human rights, you know, trans identified, trans identified people have all the same rights that any other person has. Mm -hmm. They're not denied anything other than like the costs of their elective cosmetic surgeries. Mm. Would you consider them victims? Yeah, hundred percent. Like without 100%. wanting to, without wanting, I actually like, I don't love victim ideology as a concept, like to identify as a victim is quite harmful in the long run. But in terms of like, like there, it's not, it's not an empowered place to be. Like they're victims of this industry. Yeah. I mean, I think there, there's victim consciousness and my friend, my friend, serendipity, like is the one who kind of outlined this um, for me, which I really appreciated. So yeah, I mean, I teach like tools of radical responsibility. Like I, mm. I there's a distinction between victim consciousness and, and victims, you know, like living in a victim important. consciousness. Yeah. This is important. So living in a victim consciousness is just always seeing yourself at the effect of the world, at the effect of people, at the effect of your circumstances, at the effect of the long line, at, at, you know, at the store um, and seeing, you know, life always happening to you. Now, um, most people live in this state of victim consciousness who have their basic needs met, who aren't impoverished, who actually do have a lot of material things. Now that is distinct from a victim. And I do believe that women globally are victims, right? We have child brides, we have you know, forced marriages of, of little girls, genital mutilation, like, we, like that's not victim consciousness. Mm -hmm. the, the, a, you know, a woman having genital mutilation for her seventh birthday. Um, so, so there's a distinction there. And I think, yeah, in the case of trans ideology, 
um, I see what's happening to women and what's happening to men very differently. So when I say men, I mean like adult men, I would, I would group what's happening to women and children in a distinct way. And I see them as victims in this. I see, you know, the men who are kind of coming out as women in their fifties who want to quench a sexual fetish of being recognized as right. women um, and, and seeking out, you know, cosmetic surgeries for that in order to get access to women's spaces. Right. Do I think they've been brainwashed? Do I think they're victims? Sure, they're victims of a predatory industry, but I also don't see them in the same light as I would see, you know, a 13-year-old girl who wants to get her breast cut off. Um, or even worse, a four-year-old who is apparently, you know, born in the wrong body. You're totally right. That's actually, uh, and we can go to the next table topic of safe spaces, which I've heard recently, like, I think it's in the U.S. that um, if you are, like, if you get given a prison sentence and you're a man, you can identify as a woman, have have to do nothing, solely say you identify as a woman and you can go into a woman's prison. So it's state by state. Okay. So like the, 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 the kind of top offender right now is the state of California. They passed a bill called SB. Unsurprisingly, for some reason, unsurprisingly. <laughs> yeah, unsurprisingly. I know Maine is trying to pass a similar bill. More so surprising. <laughs> Yeah, it's really it's really state by state. The same okay. goes for, you know, competitive sports, you know, like this really is a state by state issue right, right. now. Um, so, yeah, in California, there's a bill called SB 132. I spoke to a formerly incarcerated woman who, you know, kind of goes into this in detail. Um, her name is Amy. And, and I spoke to her on my channel a couple of weeks ago about this. But yeah, the, the kind of the name that they called it was like the Transgender Equality and Respect Act or something or bill, it, you know, just the languaging is so, it's so divisive um, and confusing. Well, of course, like we, well, like we just spoke about, this has nothing to do with like caring for the person. It really is manipulative language. And like back to the concept of safe space, like, as a general, when we talk about this topic, you're not supposed to, you're actually not supposed to talk against it in any way because it's not creating a safe space for people who identify as trans. But when you really like pick that apart, it's such a paradox because mm -hmm. where's the safe space for women, biological women, AKA women in women's prisons? Where is the safe space for women who are in bathrooms that all of a sudden are like, you know, doors open to men who identify as women? And what about sports when it's physical contact sports and all of a sudden, you know, men are coming into these spaces and pummeling women, mm -hmm. quite literally beating women to a pulp and then taking all the titles, like all of a sudden, and like, there's this glorification of like to, to a degree almost men is it mental illness like when mm -hmm. yeah yeah all the way I mean I think it's just another expression of patriarchy where like the man is centered the man is uplifted even when he's literally impersonating all the women in the room I oh. mean it's insane the best example of that was like when Caitlyn Jenner, Bruce Jenner, 
transitioned and won woman of the year. Mm-hmm. Some like big mm-hmm. Hollywood thing, you know, declared him woman of the year when it's like, like what? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's the biggest like fuck you to women. It's, it's crazy. It's totally nuts. Yeah. Um, yeah. And like, like you said, that there, the, with, you know, you brought up the men in women's prisons. Yeah. Like for example, this bill in California, literally there, there are no prerequisites for identifying as a woman. And right. even if there were it, that still wouldn't justify what is going on. Right. No amount of surgery, no amount of self identification, no amount of makeup, no amount of voice training, no amount of costume can turn a man into a woman. Now, like, let's say you have like a super, let's say you have a gay man who has had his dick removed and who has breast implants and who wears makeup and, you know, maybe he's five, seven, he's quite small in his frame. Now I could see why that man wouldn't want to be in a woman, in a man's, in a male, in a male prison. Men don't even want to be in men's prison. Now, the fact that he is unsafe in a men's prison does not then justify him being moved into a women's prison to then make all those women unsafe. So that's often an argument that you'll hear from liberal feminists is like, but, but he's going to be attacked. He's going to be raped. He's going to be mutilated. And that has nothing to do with his gender. The problem is the unsafety of the prison system. And the prison yeah. system in general, like the incarceration of people in general is a whole other podcast topic, yeah. but you're right. Interesting. And, and I am not denying that he, he wouldn't be targeted more than other men because he is like literally impersonating a woman. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not saying that he wouldn't be targeted more, but again, that's besides the point, right? Like mm-hmm. his, him being on relative, like being at higher risk you know, mm-hmm. because of the way he presents in a men's prison, again, does not justify then, you know, risking the safety of, of women mm-hmm. um, by putting him, you know, in their space. So yeah, women are just expected to kind of go along, shut up um, and, and center, you know, the men who, who say that they're women. And it's, it, I mean, I really encourage women and men who are listening to think of it as woman face. It really is no different than um blackface you know that is something i've thought about in the past too like how there's been and i mean i don't think that the concept of cultural appropriation is again its whole own topic because i think it's nuanced like everything but in the like in conversation with people that are would be very pro this ideology are also anti cultural appropriation and definitely anti-blackface so how Mm -hmm. it's like this cherry picking of uh you know it applies here and it doesn't apply here and it applies here and it doesn't apply here yeah that's fascinating and like it's really I want to just say that it's actually really easy to dismantle the ideology once you shift you know like yeah it's so fragile like and and I think once you see it for what it is, there's no one seeing it. There's no going back to pretending. There's no going back to lying. Everything falls into place very, very quickly. I mean, this is why like this term peaking, you know, like the point that, that like you can't kind of hold the cognitive dissonance anymore where it just gets so ridiculous that you see it for what it is. Um, women have these, you know, peak stories because it just all of a sudden clicks and things like what you just said, you know, like the cherry picking and how the social justice warriors are, you know, claim to be anti-racist, but totally 
are are up uh, are upholding patriarchy in this context it's it's mind-boggling i thought we could maybe finish with you could start with your story and we could talk a little bit about like erasing the mother agenda and your experience as a birth worker and how you learned i believe you were learning um they were teaching you to like not use specific words and terms maybe you can just tell your story totally yeah so yeah so i was kind of indoctrinated with trans ideology through a doula training in 2016 in brooklyn um and i just ate it up i was like a sponge i was like i'm contemporary i'm loving if this is what's going on like of course i would do this of course i would use terms like birthing person menstruating human chest feeder because i want everyone to feel good i would never want to offend anyone i would never want to make anyone feel unsafe um and yeah i was a student in this program this wasn't like a discussion group on what you think is appropriate it was a a, a, a training where i was a student they were the trainers and i just yeah I, so i went along with it and um it was sold to me as something that was just the right thing to do. And mind you, you know, I was getting into birth work because I wanted to help. I wanted to improve the lives of women and children. And so if this was part of that, of course I was gonna do it. But, you know, as I started to see, you know, that my role as a doula, as a reformist, you know, attending women in these like horrendous situations actually wasn't like the way for me, then everything else started kind of to, to, to unfold. So there were a lot of lies that I was being asked to kind of tell um, in the context of birth, you know, using euphemisms like belly birth instead of saying surgical birth, you know, like not wanting to shame all about the safe space, not wanting to, uh, you know, judge and on all the things kind of tiptoe around, which ultimately only serves, you know, the industries that are making, you know, money off of our our bodies literally so you know things like fed is best you know that that those are the kind of things that i was being asked to to say in 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 that doula world that i was a part of in new york city so um things started to kind of unravel for me in the in the birth context and so yeah with trans ideology it was just an extension um mm -hmm. of that kind of unraveling and so i was teaching reproductive health workshops um and those reproductive health workshops were very openly critical about you know the dangers of hormonal birth control and so i was educating women on that helping them transition off of hormones to practice fertility awareness method talking about the primary signs of fertility um, and i noticed that it was totally acceptable to critique hormones in that context but when i started to talk like to think or, or kind of question the trans stuff it was like oh no no no, no you don't go there the old cherry pick exactly <laughs> yeah and then it was a series of you know conversations with mentors and you know a man that i was dating at the time and and i just kind of peaked and i think the sports issue was the, the biggest one for me when i found out that there were men competing against women in sport like that was like maybe my, my point of no return where i was like this this shit is crazy um and yeah and i think a huge part of that was you know having an understanding of female physiology and the you know, the role of hormones in the body and the importance of hormones being able to, you know, unravel and our, our cycles, you know, getting to be here for us, you know, and the importance of, of ovulating. So that, that definitely informed everything. And then 
I was already peaked. I was already, you know, a radical feminist when I, I joined, um, I got into a, a two-year training program to become a certified fertility awareness educator. Um, and it was in that training that um, I refused to go along with, with the ideology. I refused to use terms like menstruating human, uterus haver. Um, and I was kicked out of that program um, for making women feel unsafe. Um, basically, all the analysis that I have. I have a pretty, like, I mean, different but similar story. I was also doing the two-year training. I'm not sure in the same school or different school. Um, but for it to be a fertility awareness trainer and um, holistic reproductive healthcare practitioner specifically. Um, mm-hmm. And I suggested a, so I can't actually can't even remember what the context was, but there was a talk by Jordan Peterson that was relevant to the course content. Uh oh. And so I sent <laughs> <Jared> it, it. <laughs> I sent it through. And of course, he's like, I mean, he's the perfect example for this whole, like, he's just been so shamed for being like an advocate for like humans thriving, basically. But anyways, I, I sent through the, the article and it actually got added to the syllabus. And that caused a chain reaction of like, like colossal shitstorm in the school because I mean, I don't want to like, I can't get too into the details on a public platform, but like you, I mean, I didn't get kicked out the, the, it was met with acceptance by someone who's extremely open-minded and incredible and wise and like amazing. But the rest of the organization was like, he is a, you know, he's an anti this and he's a this and he's a that and we can't include it. Meanwhile, like his, Anyways, Jordan Peterson, another a topic for another time. But like, yeah, likewise, it created just a colossal shitstorm. And I ended up leaving the school, um, mm. not being kicked out, but like it's 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 wild to witness how deeply indoctrinated people are to the point where you I mean, you get canceled, someone like him for like based on not even really actually understanding what the person is saying. I mean, all of your friends who have um, you know, gone their separate way, like fundamentally are not understand. They're not hearing you. No, no. That's so funny. Yeah. Yeah. And and your experience is, is, you know, emblematic of, of many, many women's experiences, you know, not just in female health, but like this, this whole pronoun thing, safe space, like it extends beyond, even our, our fields, you know, where they can sniff you out. Like you got sniffed out, you know, it's like, Oh, she's like, she, you know, if you are not full on compliant, like if you forget to forget, (laughs) conveniently forget to put your pronouns in your bio or your email signature, or, you know, don't say them when everyone's introducing themselves, like people know the people who are really <laughs> hardcore into the trans ideology can sniff you out and it's like not okay. And, yeah. and they're fucking, they're bullies, you know, like I, I do think that it's also important, you know, as much as women are victims in this, um, both, both men, you know, men, you know, to the extreme become violent against women who, who will not acknowledge them as women. This is like, there are many, many cases, um, in, in, in the news that don't get a lot of press 
Um, there's a website that I want to refer people to that I'm forgetting the name of. Um, oh, I'll think of it. But basically, it's it's a it's a log of all the violent crimes against women committed by men who claim to be women. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, you know, I found to to a lesser you know material kind of uh, affront within these groups women are fucking bullies, like, and they will harass and they will call you out. And I mean, it was so manipulative, like in the final call where we had this kind of forum to like resolve the issues of, of like the, the discord in, in terms of the, the gender stuff in my program, mm-hmm. you know, this woman came on who went by they, them, he, him, and just was crying, you know, how hard it was for her to be, be here because I was exclusively using the words woman and mother. I mean, like what, you know? And, and also I wanna mention that, you know, the, the women who are identifying and, and the men who are identifying, you know, as the opposite sex, you know, especially children and adolescents like are suffering. You know, mm-hmm. I think a lot of them are suffering. So I don't wanna discount the fact that they're suffering, you know, the, but, no, but that, that trans is not the, the cure well well, it's like the it's like the putting a man into a woman's prison it's like that is not addressing the solution of the suffering the suffering is not solved by transitioning the suffering needs to be addressed on a personal level in like in your family system in your social system like there's so many broken aspects that are not fixed with transitioning it it, quite the opposite actually i think probably like cemented in uh, like the strangest most traumatic way possible. Um, I want to go back. You said birthing belly and fed is best for those that don't know. So I actually didn't hear, I've never known birthing belly. So that's getting a uh, cesarean. Uh, the term is a belly birth. Belly birth. So it's getting a C-section. And then fed is best is not um, wanting to shame women who can't breastfeed basically. Um, it reminds me of, um, I actually wrote an article about this a while ago, the glorification of obesity and mm-hmm. another like, you know, I mean, it's, it really is an assault. on phobic. Yeah. That you're fat phobic. Meanwhile, it's like, it's, it's so paradoxical that it's like, there's a difference between loving yourself and meeting yourself where you are and then not wanting to glorify something that is not optimal for someone. So when it comes to obesity, of course, you're worthy as a person. You're not any less lovable. You're not any less worthy. And it's like the yes. And, you know, it's like, and no, it's not healthy for your body. You will not be, you will not thrive in an obese body. And So it's finding the capacity to be like a breastfed baby is best. If you don't have the capacity to breastfeed, you're not a bad person. You're not, you know, you're not a bad mother. You're not, you're not failing, but to dismiss the, like the, just the biological truth that a breastfed baby is, you know, it has better cognitive development. Like there's, there's so many benefits to it. So it's, it's this wild dystopian, like, like great equalizer that is actually an assault on the very person that you're trying to create a safe space for. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. And it's all, it's all just for, for industry. It's all just for money. Like it all comes back to money and control and, you know, the purpose of that tagline, the purpose of these marketing terms is to increase like sales. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. And it's brilliant the way that it's kind of been carried out where there's all this infighting, right? You have women yelling at each other about how empowering getting mutilated was for them. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And I, and I think also back to the like victim thing, you know, a lot of people have resistance to being seen as pawns, like to acknowledge, like mm. having been manipulated to admit that they were duped to admit that, you know, that we actually are not free agents. Of, uh, you know, we are not agents of free will. Um, I mean, that's my, my belief. I, I don't, I think we make very, very few choices, you know, mm, in the world. I I think. Yeah, I agree. So I think people resist that. And I think, you know, when people hear me talk about, you know, even, you know, uh, children who are being mutilated, you know, they, they think that I'm projecting um, some kind of victimhood onto them um, rather than seeing them as, you know, pawns in this, in this whole industry. So, and, and so many people's identities have been formed around this ideology, you know, like I went to high school with a woman whose job it is to help men who identify as women get into women's prisons in the state of New York. That is crazy. That's her career. That is insane. No, but the coincidence of that is wild. Actually, you know, it's perfect. You know, the like back to polarity, there's like a spiritually like there's always an opposite for every like there's a yin for a yang and like she's the yang to your yin <laughs> That's yeah crazy. and I'm, I'm sure she's trained as like a social worker you know I, I don't know so many details about what she's up to now but the last yeah the last uh Facebook interaction I had with her that's what uh she was up to so I mean wow. Yeah, I mean, I, I had to admit as well that that I was brainwashed, that I was indoctrinated. Um, and that doesn't mean that reprogramming isn't possible. You know, I think, you know, and Lear Keith talks about this. You know, they, she says, you know, they, you know, like patriarchy has, 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 we are more than what they've made us to be, you know? So once we start to see class dynamics, once we start to see, you know, kind of a Marxist analysis of, of class and, and, and groups of people who have power over other groups of people, um, until we can see that and until we can acknowledge power systems at play, mm. we cannot become liberated, right? If we can't see what is going on, if we can't name our oppressor, if we can't name our oppression as women on a global scale, how can we how can we claim liberation? How can we work towards liberation? So yeah, acknowledging that, that we are victims in some capacity, that there are true victims in this world um, does not mean that you have to be a victim or live in victim consciousness for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think like, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of kind of spiritual bypassing that, that happens around that. 
Um, but that was really clarifying for me. Yeah, reading reading her work and listening to her speak on that as someone who who holds both. You know, again, I teach tools of radical responsibility, and I hold a radical feminist analysis, and those two I think are compatible. Um, so yeah, I, I can understand the resistance for for a lot of reasons. Mm -hmm. I think let's leave it at that. That was so great. Hopefully, great. planted some seeds, inspired. Um, people to question their beliefs, or at least maybe, I think it, well, the one time I addressed this so far on social media, I was met with so much, like so many women feeling seen. Mm -hmm. And so I think that these conversations are important, whether people agree or not is actually less important than the fact that no matter what you believe, censorship is never the answer because it's in talking things out that we actually can get to a greater truth. And it's good to have conversations with people that you don't agree with. So you can both kind of at least flesh out what you believe, because just to hold an ideology and then to never question it and never be challenged on it, um, fucks you up. <laughs> fucks yeah. the world up, actually. Yeah. Totally. So yeah, thank you. And thank you for everything you do. Like you're super inspiring. I I feel grateful to have had this conversation with you. Thank, thank you. you so much. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you for being brave enough to, to talk about these issues. Yeah. And, and like Lear Keith always says, like, we're, this all just drops in the bucket, you know, mm -hmm. eventually there's going to be one drop that overflows the, the, where the bucket overflows. And, and so that's what we're, we're all doing here together. One drop at a time. All right, that's it for today's episode. I hope you enjoyed. I hope it planted some seeds or inspired you at the very least to stand up for what you believe and speak your truth. Until next time.